Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, and especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill their promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had men and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Pray on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official suit? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer, because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth.
Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious eyes. Perception is the key, and the heart yeah. is the solution. Heart perception will change everything. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com, rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the website www.thesecretteachings.info for our show archive, the montages, and more. Last night's show is in the archive now at thesecretteachings.info. You can also find our top news tab there and more. And if you'd like to find us on social media, facebook.com forward slash thesecretteachings. A couple of years ago, I interviewed a lady named Nancy Appleton. She's a doctor, and I haven't spoken to her in a couple of years. The last time I interviewed her was on Halloween, I think, in 2017 maybe even 2016. And the last conversation I had with her was about how to replace Halloween candy with things that kids would like, little toys or things like this that she used to do with her kids. And when I spoke to Nancy Appleton, I think that had been the third or fourth interview I had done. I spoke with her off air many times. And she wasn't that well known about outside of the circles of some radio shows and uh, others like, Dr. Betty Martini, who's kind of known as the aspartame woman. She's led the charge politically and socially for many, many years on the subject of aspartame as a neurotoxin, which is in a lot of your gums and candies and sweetened beverages and things like that. We watch out for high fructose corn syrup. We kind of forget about aspartame and the various names of aspartame, just like MSG and its various names. So I was talking to Nancy Appleton. She sent me her books, a book called Stopping Inflammation, which was a really good read. Another book called Killer Colas, which was a book mostly about soda, which was a very interesting read for being as specific as it was. And she wrote a couple of other books. One was called Suicide by Sugar, probably her most famous. And she sent me those books, and she told me the last time I talked to her, she said, you need to read this book, or any material on the subject of a guy named Louis Pasteur. And at the time, I mean, I knew who Louis Pasteur was, but I didn't know a lot about Pasteur, except he developed the, um, the idea of pasteurizing products, right, like milk. And he had this idea that disease was a result of little microorganisms attacking the body, And that those microorganisms, whether it was a virus or bacterium, that they caused disease. And he's been remembered as the father of essentially the modern foundation for modern medicine. However, Louis Pasteur is a little bit like Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison was a brilliant inventor, no doubt about it. A lot of his inventions were a result of experiments 
in the field of paranormal activity, a lot of inventions came from that type of experimentation, television, radio. Uh, Tesla actually invented the radio before Marconi. According to official court rulings, they gave it to Nikola Tesla. And Nikola Tesla kind of shares a place in history with another gentleman named Antoine Bicamp. Antoine Bicamp was doing work and research at the same time as Pasteur, and he had a different theory on what caused disease. Bicamp's research can best be summed up in this quote, Disease is born of us and in us. Quote, unquote. His research showed that throughout the cells of living organisms were smaller things called microzymas. And though they were not harmful, they were able to transform into what he saw as disease-cultivating bacterium, fungus, or virus. Contrary to what Louis Pasteur believed, Bicamp saw germs as evolutionary forms of microzymas that built up within cells, and he did not see them as fixed and responsible for their own specific diseases. Because germs are the things that we're afraid of. We're not so afraid of the things that we use to kill those germs or the things that we take in our body to eliminate those germs and their so-called infections. And the things that we take and the things that we inject and the things that we use to clean with often are the very responsible parties that cause the disease to begin with or contribute greatly to it through bioaccumulation. So these are the two guys, Pasteur and Bicamp, and they are very similar, in my view, to Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla. Tesla's forgotten, Bicamp is forgotten, and we remember Edison, we remember Pasteur. And Nancy Appleton, Dr. Nancy Appleton, she sent me this book, The Curse of Louis Pasteur, and it sat on my bookshelf. I had read it immediately when she sent it to me, and it just kind of sat there until last year around this time, Uh, into December, into January of 2020, when we started talking about coronavirus and disease in general, it became popular and people learned what the word pandemic meant. People were asking me, what does pandemic mean? (laughs) I thought, hmm, all right, well, I I thought that that was a very common word, but maybe not. We'll learn what the word pandemic means and kind of got into the game of it. And then it turned into a nightmare. It really wasn't a, a, a kind of a fantasy to play pandemic anymore. And this subject became very popular with people like uh, Dr. Tim Cowan, people like uh, uh, Dr. Blaylock has been talking about this type of thing in health for years. You have people like Dr. Nancy Appleton, who has talked about it for years, but you have uh, Andrew Kaufman we've had on the show before. He was a big name. Uh, And then Don Lester and David Parker wrote What Really Makes You Ill?, And they wrote this book, and it just happened to coincide after 10 years of investigation with 2020. So all this kind of came together, and now it's like a popular thing to talk about what germ theory is. And there's a little bit of misunderstanding on some subjects. And there's a little bit of disinformation, I think, misinformation, a little bit of omission. But I don't really think that the subject gets the kind of attention that it should get. So tonight, I'm going to speak with you about these topics, germ theory, and its related avenues of expression and and, and detail. And we're going to do that with our good friend and uh, occasional co-host. He hasn't been on as much, but my good friend Jack from the Messenger of Information website, his website, messengerof.info. 
He has a lot of videos on his website, a lot of news articles, a lot of links to things like Dr. Uh, Tom Cowan. Did I say Tim a second ago? It's Tom Cowan. Uh, Dr. Tom Cowan, uh, Carrie Mollis, the inventor of the PCR test. We've got a clip of him tonight talking about the PCR test. He died right before event 201, which is very interesting because the PCR test has become very popular now. People know what the PCR test is, though a lot of doctors and nurses still are oblivious to the tests that they're handing out. And so there's a lot of minutia, a lot of discrepancy, a lot of confusion. And I want to discuss all of this tonight on the show. Jack, my friend, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing great. I think that this subject is one that if you're a little bit confused of what's going on in the world in general, especially in 2020, it might help to alleviate some of that confusion because it, it actually takes a subject that seems complicated and it simplifies it. It's like, oh, that's why I'm sick. Well, one thing has definitely come to the forefront since all of this happened starting earlier this year, and that is how ignorant people are about health, truly ignorant, don't understand basic science, um, don't understand just basic information, they really struggle with it, and therefore it causes all that high level of confusion. Well, it's meant to be confusing in a way, I think, because if you, like Wall Street, right, or like um, someone who wants to sound really smart, they use big words, complicated words, and being able to explain something, I guess, in an intelligent way, it doesn't need to be done with fancy words and fancy clothing. You don't have to have the white lab coat. There are people that understand um, what doctors understand on a, on a deeper level, and they don't even have to go to medical school. In fact, it seems unfortunate that a lot of people go to medical school. They learn about drugs and chemical reactions. It's basically chemistry school, but they don't learn about the actual body. And they don't learn about what the body needs and what causes disease. So there are a lot of fallacies that remain present in our conversation and discourse. What do you think? And they, they don't learn and or are not allowed to question things. I remember Dr. Andy Kaufman talking about how the whole system works as far as going to medical school, then doing an internship, then be, you know, becoming a doctor, etc. And one of the things he said about going to medical school was they keep you so overloaded and so busy with memorizing everything you're supposed to memorize, there is very little time to ask questions. You're, you're so focused on you know, remembering what they're teaching you that you don't really have the time to stop and question, go, wait a minute, that really doesn't quite make sense to me. Can you further explain this, professor? Yeah, and I, you know what? I think a lot of people, Jack, feel like that's some kind of like um, complicated, uh, secretive conspiracy to keep people con- sure. This is a method of mind control, confusion, trivial demands and things like this. But it's also just a byproduct of there's a certain reason why certain things are taught, whether it's funded by uh, Big Pharma or it's funded by the dairy industry. I mean, they teach in nutrition classes that, you know, about milk. They teach nurses that cow's milk is better than human milk. Sometimes it depends on the university or the school. See, all these special interests involved, and there's so much information, but it's really the basic stuff that matters. It's the cornerstone that matters. And when you don't have that, when you don't have an understanding of nutrition, 
And when the, the, the fundamental theory of human health and disease is inaccurate, then you don't really have a base for anything. It's just a bunch of, uh, just a bunch of words that doesn't mean anything. I'll make a bold statement. Modern yes, be medicine. Bold. Be bold. What about modern medicine? No, I said be bold, Jack. Go for oh, it. Oh, be bold. I'm yes. sorry. You broke up a little bit there. I will be bold as always. And I will say modern medicine can be summed up in three words. It's all wrong. How about that? It's all wrong. What did you, what did you tell me earlier? Uh, I think it was what Tom Cowan said about the body. Yeah, yeah the name of tonight's show, Your Doctor Thinks You're Dead. <laughs> yeah, your doctor does think you're dead. And, well, and, well, and that's basically the premise of that statement is that they don't look at the living body when they try to figure out health. They, they look at the dead body and dissect it, et cetera, et cetera. So they don't understand at all. Now, what, here, here's here's what the life really is, and and what true health is, and how how the body actually works. So then, here's the question that I always like to propose when when a subject like this is breached: What makes, and, and I could answer it, but for time's sake, let's allow you to answer. It. What makes you better qualified to say so, Jack? Common sense, logic, and inner knowing. Common sense and logic go a far, far distance. So when you think about um, history, I mentioned Antoine Bicamp. I know you've heard of him, right, Jack? Yes. So Antoine Bicamp, a French scientist, he said disease is born of us and in us. And his research showed not necessarily the opposite of what Pasteur saw that they saw similar things but he just theorized but camp did that disease was a result of the things in your body reacting to not necessarily microorganisms but that the body becomes toxic and then those organisms transform into what we call viruses or bacteria that we consider to be harmful i, I think in a very simple right. way to sum it up, Pasteur believed that it was the virus that caused the disease, not the expulsion thereof from the body. Well, Don and Dave, in their book, What Really Makes You Ill, talk about bacteria being the cleanup crew. And by the way, uh, this is not what physically makes you ill. These things, these germs, etc., what Cowan talks about, and this made perfect sense to me, is it also comes down to your thoughts, toxic chemicals, toxic thoughts, toxic behaviors, poison in different poisons that are in your system, electromagnetic fields that corrupt the body and cause imbalance, shall we say. Well, you know, the subject of imbalance is interesting because uh, we know that the Nobel Prize for Physiology in the 30s was won based on the idea that cancer could not exist in a body that was in homeostasis, that was in balance, uh, a body that was not right. acidic. So this, mm -hmm. this information has been known, and I mean, again, a Nobel, Nobel Prizes have been won based on this research since at least the 1930s. 
And You're right. And and there was that book and, and I still have it somewhere and I can't find it. It's called the P I think it's called the pH factor. And I can't remember who the author was. But it was probably written, I'm thinking, back in about the nineties. And basically if your pH is, is balanced, right? Um between acidity and 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 uh, what would that be? Acid and uh, al- is it alkaline? Yes, if your body's alkaline. Okay. Yeah. yeah, if it's balanced, you'll never you'll never get sick, ever. Yeah. yeah it w- and, and the guy that was the author was on a few of those morning talk shows on Good Morning America and such today, and uh, got the word out. And after about two or three appearances, they blackballed him. And he, he was never able to get the word out other than his book, but had a heck of a time promoting the book, of course. So it sounds like it's kind of similar concept to what you're mentioning from the 1930s. Yep. Uh, Otto Warburg, won, he was a German physiologist and a medical doctor. And he won the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine in 1931. He was actually awarded like or nominated for the award 47 times. <laughs> so he was nominated for it a lot, and he, he won it in 1931. He was a pretty old guy, too. He was born in 1883, died in 1970. So he was an, he, maybe he understood health. He knew a little bit. But yeah, this was back in the 30s. This was well-known in 1931, which means that to do that research and to come to that conclusion and win the Nobel Prize for it, this was known since the 19th century. Easy. And in fact, the idea of balance, I mean, this goes back to ancient Indian texts, ancient Egyptian texts, a little more recent than ancient Indian. So world cultures and civilizations since the beginning of recorded human civilization have been aware that balance is important. Balance is key. You get that in the yin and the yang. You get that through all cultures in different forms. And of course, again, the Western medicine, modern medicine looks at the physical body. They don't take into account energy. They don't take into account the things I just mentioned. If a person's thoughts are are uh, unhealthy, if that will potentially affect their body. And, and again, coming back to the, you know, the thought, the concept of your doctor thinks that you're dead. Well, that's what they do. They study the, they study Dead tissues, they study all this stuff that's dead, not living. And as a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Cowan mentioned in this uh, interview he did with David Icke that autopsies were never done until the 1700s. And people think that that's because they didn't have the technology or ability to do an autopsy. It's no, because they, because they had a different mindset. They thought, what good does it do to study a dead body? And then he talks about uh, he talks about how they wanted to uh, experiment on frogs, right? At some point, you know how frogs take take uh, take a beating when it comes to science, right? As well as well as other lab animals, but so they wanted to study a frog to see what makes a frog a frog. So what do they do? They kill it so that a frog can have a better life. But that frog's life isn't very good after they killed it. But then, again, they look at all of the dead tissue, the dead, everything that's in it, and they study it after it's dead, not while it's living. That's why the whole thing's backwards and upside down like everything else in this world, our favorite word, inversion. So when I read the book 
you know, what really makes you ill? And I started, I said, absolutely. I, I, I definitely would challenge without question. There's no doubt in my mind that the germ theory is wrong. When I recently watched this video, this interview with Dr. Cowan, and I've seen some others of, you know, other interviews with him and presentations and whatnot, but the way he laid this out, it just made, it just went, you know, yeah, of course you dummy. It's not just the germ theory that's wrong. It's the whole entire, everything about the way that modern medicine, their, their, their approach to it is wrong. And of course, it's been corrupted, no doubt in my mind, intentionally. The, the whole process of even viewing some form of microscopic organism, I remember uh, I pulled this from What Really Makes You Ill, Don and David's book. We've had them on the show several times now. And they wrote as, as an example uh, about how these microscopes uh, look in the body, um, that when they're viewed under a microscope, they're subject to a fixing and a staining process. Right. So they do all these things to the <laughs> yeah. material, and then they view yeah. it, right? Yep, yep. So that, that could maybe, I don't know, affect <laughs> the final product a little bit. But that's well, that's and, not and also that's not just that's not just their research like that. Right. There, there are dozens of doctors and scientists yes. have said that. Yeah, they're adding all kinds of, you know, it's it's Frankenstein uh, uh, stuff, you know, but but the liver, for example, uh, again, not to take too much from, from this interview, but people may want to watch it. I, I highly recommend it. It's posted on Messenger of Information. But he talks about the liver, that people would think that the liver would be uh, made of cells and tissue. But he, he, he states that no one has ever seen cells in a living liver. They only find cells af if after a section of the liver, either if, after a person is dead, or if the, uh, uh, the liver is removed, or a section of the liver is removed. And just like what you were saying, um, added all kinds of chemicals and dissected. That's when they find these things, but they don't find them. You cannot find a living cell if you use ultrasound or an MRI or a CAT scan or whatever else in a living body in the liver. And, and you're finding I thought that was quite telling. Yes, it is. And you're finding uh, so-called contagious bacteria or viruses that are living on your skin at any given time. And if they were very contagious, then you should get sick. It just kind of reminds me of what we talked about on Monday's show here on The Secret Teachings about how the Centers for Disease Control is saying obese people should get a vaccination for COVID first. But they said months ago that a vaccine will not work on obese people, which defeats <laughs> the argument of vaccines because they should work regardless if the person's fat. It shows you that yeah. the, the responsibility is on the individual health of that person, whether maybe that you know maybe they had an issue that it's not necessarily their fault, but it resides in the body itself, not from some outside thing. I'm Ryan Gable. This is the Secret Teachings. My good friend and co-host Jack from the Messenger of Information, messengerof.info website is with us. There's more on the germ theory and why your doctor thinks you're dead. After this, don't go anywhere. Right here on the Fringe FM. Stay with us.
Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out the Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal Radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's the Fringe FM. Every year around the holidays, we heavily discount our subscriptions and books here at The Secret Teachings. That means you can get a one-year subscription to our archive, which includes the Montage Archive and all of my digital books, the published and the unpublished ones. You will also get an autographed physical copy of your choice of one of my published books, either Food Philosophy, The Technological Elixir, or Occult Arcana, shipped free in the United States. All of this for the discounted price of $40 throughout the holiday season. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and donate via PayPal or use the email rdgable at yahoo.com. Come join us on The Secret Teachings where you'll learn things like the origin of the word holiday. It comes from the Old English holiday, meaning holy day. So celebrate the holy days with The Secret Teachings for yourself as a gift or for someone else www.thesecretteachings.info Alex Exum My name is Alex Exum and you're listening to The Fringe FM So you love talk radio then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com TalkStream Live is always on 24-7 with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Why listen to The Fringe FM? We are your number one source for talk radio the mainstream media won't touch. Joe Root brings you everything occult with Lighting the Void. Ryan Gables shatters paradigms with esoteric knowledge on the secret teachings. Gigi and Cortana explore the inner workings of our reality with Shift Happens. Jess of the Rogue Report brings you years of research to explore the hidden facts behind alternative topics. And myself, Alex Exum of Live Talk, the so-called Joker in the deck. We are the Fringe FM. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash the secret teachings. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show. You can find me at Truth Frequency Radio or on my home website, www.kevbakershow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. The truth is out there. And so are we. KTLK. Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable. Broadcasting somewhere between that which is above and that which is below. It's KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. This is David Icke, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. It's time you got acquainted with the real hard truth. 
I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. Louis Pasteur is considered the originator of what we call germ theory. And I'm not sure if a lot of us are aware of what germ theory even is. Germ theory is basically the foundation for what your doctor or nurses or nurse practitioners, it's what the medical establishment uses to determine how to handle certain sicknesses, certain diseases, certain injuries, certain reactions, looking at infections and things like this. This is all based on germ theory, all based on Louis Pasteur, although Louis Pasteur was doing work with others and alongside of others, not as a colleague, but people like Antoine Bicamp, who suggested the opposite of germ theory, that it wasn't the germ that caused the disease, but what we call the germ is really a reaction by the body to expel something from the body. So Louis Pasteur, in his germ theory, proposed that it's the foreign invaders that attack the body in the form of germs, microorganisms. However, long before Louis Pasteur submitted his theory, there was an Italian physician named Gerolamo Fracastoro in 1546. So we're talking hundreds of years before Pasteur. He proposed that disease was caused by small entities that were able to transmit an infection. He also believed that pathogens activated with heat. These tiny entities were never observed, though. It is reported that in 1676, the Danish scientist Antonius von Leeuwenhoek developed a microscope to view these little tiny invaders, but he never suggested a theory as to their purpose. It wasn't until 1762 that Dr. M. Plinces, Plinces, a physician from Vienna, proposed, quote, germ theory of infectious disease. So this has been around for hundreds of years. I've got my good friend and co-host Jack with us. This has been around for hundreds of years, Jack. It's not just Pasteur. And there have probably been, for hundreds of years, people that have proposed separate contrary arguments, but this particular theory has essentially won out. But perhaps today in 2020, more and more people are becoming aware of the fallacies of germ theory. And I've heard people who are aware of it and recognize that it's not necessarily the germ that causes the disease. They've told me, you know what, I'm not really afraid of catching a disease anymore. I'm not really afraid. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be aware of chemicals and toxins in the environment because that's essentially what causes disease and runs down the body. But they're not as afraid of germs anymore, which I think is a very positive thing. This, this alleviates fear, and it's based on hundreds of years of scientific theory and provable theory in the 20th, 19th and 20th century and uh, 21st century. So it's been around for a long time. And once you become aware of the fallacies of germ theory, Jack, I think it makes life uh, a little less scary. We're not, we don't have to be worried about germs anymore. It does make life less scary. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. Didn't Pasteur, towards the end of his life, later on, uh, past his prime, let's put it that way, of the pa- past the was, prime of his career. He was pasteurized. Yeah, he was. <laughs> did did he not admit basically that his theory was tainted, or that m- more or less he kind of insinuated that he was kind of put up to that? 
I, I remember reading something about this. I think we talked with Don and David about it. I'm not an expert on Pastor, but I do remember something to the effect of he was maybe uncertain about his own theory. Um, I think he kind of more or less backed off it. Let's just put it that way. And, and well, again, we, well, hold on. Know, we, the, we know also Charles Darwin did a very similar thing. Charles Darwin right. was uncertain about the theory of evolution as well. Right. So the germ theory relates, again, to the physical body, the physical body, the physical body. But the thing I like about Dr. Cowan is that he says that from his observation and study, he just has a completely different approach. I just love it. And, and again, to me, it makes perfect sense. One thing that he, I mean, very controversial stuff completely goes against the grain of Western medicine or modern medicine. He says that the heart doesn't pump blood. He says that cancer has nothing to do with genetics. And he says things like there is no HIV virus. Well, they've actually, I think, found um, it very difficult. When I say they, I'm talking about researchers and scientists. And uh, Don Lester, David Parker also talk about this in their book. There are other books written about HIV. Um, Dr. Fauci, by the way, was instrumental in... um, the HIV crisis, for yes. a little side note. But yeah, they, there have been doctors that have found it very difficult to isolate what they call an HIV virus. And so I think, and you and I had these discussions too, I think there's a little bit of confusion with the terminology used. Because like if, you, if someone was to say, not you, Jack, but if you were to say in general somebody was to say, look, viruses don't exist. Well, okay, you'd have to define what a virus is because in the 21st century... There are still arguments going on. You can look up major scientific publications, Scientific American, and others, where they're still debating today, is a virus alive or is a virus dead? Yes. Right? And I think that's that's vital. And that's so key. It's critical. It's instrumental to the debate. And, and, I, and, I, and I take the side that it's not a living organism. So, therefore, it cannot travel. It does not travel within the human body. So how could it possibly be that it could travel outside the human body to create contagion? Well, this is this is the argument, and this is the uh, the debate. I just pulled up the article. If you'd like to uh, find a copy of it, it's on our website at thesecretteachings.info under the top news section, or you can just type in the headline, Scientific American, Our Virus is Alive. It says, although viruses challenge our concept of what living means— they're vital members of the web of life. So there are things that are called viruses, but it's just a matter of how you define what a virus is. And the original definition of a virus is much different than what a virus is today. So the original definition of a, vi- of a, of a virus, um, or what we know it as, a, a, as an organism that is a virus, is a, is a little tiny particle that is capable of replication but only within living cells. However, the original term virus, you may have heard this, Jack, is Latin for slimy liquid poison or noxious substance. It can be defined as an infective agent, so it can infect you, but only under certain conditions. Like if I take something that's noxious from your body, Jack, which is a virus, then I put it into my body, my body's going to break down a little bit and I'm going to get a little bit sick because my body's trying to get rid of this foreign substance. So in that way, it infects me, but it's not because of a virus like the pictures they show you in the biology books in high school. And as a matter of fact, the original word 
The origin of the word is Middle English, and it means venom of a snake bite, which we'd assume is a noxious substance. And this is how they proved the transmission, quote-unquote proved, the transmission of smallpox because they just took pus out of, you know, Jack, and if you had smallpox and I was being inoculated, they'd cut my arm open with little scrapers, and then they'd take pus from your body and rub it into my body. Of course I'm going to get sick. <laughs> but it's, it's, the, it's the definition, what I mean is the definition of the word. So if you think a, a virus doesn't exist, well, you're wrong. There are viruses, but what is a virus? Something's there. What is it, and does it cause the disease right. is the debate. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. A debate. I don't even look at it as a debate. What they're what what this corrupted medical system has done, and I'll take it back to about 1910 with our good old buddies, the Rockefellers, who corrupted the entire uh, approach to health, uh, which was apparently pretty successful at that time. A more of a holistic, natural approach for some using herbs and teas and that type of thing. But well, they were, all, they, what, were, they were also using mercury too, people. So there were different, right, there were different right, branches. Right. But regardless, uh, as far as the germ theory goes, um, you know, bacteria is actually a positive thing for the body, right? And potentially viruses are, 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 pos, are positive, okay? So what this system has done has convinced everybody over the last hundred plus years that the solutions to the healing process that naturally occur in the body is they are the enemies, and that's what they attack. They attack all of the positive solutions that that uh, create your body to heal, cause your body to heal. See what I'm saying? So there's no surprise when I look at the overall inversion that we live in everything in this world is inverted so why would it be any different with medicine and of course at the end of the day huge profits are reaped from humanity being sick and ill and confused about really what they should be doing to be healthy and the bottom line is really and you mentioned this a few minutes ago is it seems that the only reason that we become ill is because of toxicity in our bodies. Toxicity in the environment, toxicity in the body, uh, the accumulation of that toxicity, which I yes. think I think a lot of um, a lot of doctors and scientists and independent researchers they focus on this one particular fallacy, and that is that the dosage of the poison is most important, right? And it's not the dosage, it's just a poison. So I'll give you an example. If you go to the Centers for Disease Control and you look up their uh, flu vaccines and you'll see that on the website they'll acknowledge that, yeah, mercury is not in all the flu vaccines, sure, but it's in some of the flu vaccines and they give you multiple doses. So it's just like a can of Coke. You get 40 grams of sugar, but there's like two servings, right? Or you get 20 grams times two servings is 40 grams. So you get multiple dosage of a flu shot, and you get multiple doses, dosages of mercury. So if you go to the CDC's website, the CDC says, don't worry. Thimerosal is only in multi-dose vials of flu vaccine, and it's only meant to prevent contamination. Well, that's fine, but it could be meant to do a lot of things, 
it could still poison you, even if it's meant to do something else, right? And if you look at this on the CDC's website, the asterisk next to this statement about contamination and mercury leads you to the bottom of the page and a section about the differences between ethyl mercury and methyl mercury. Now, both are toxic. Both are poisonous. You don't want either in your body. But the CDC says, don't worry. Thimerosal has a different form of mercury, ethyl mercury, than the kind that causes mercury poisoning, methyl mercury. It's safe to use ethyl mercury in vaccines because it's processed differently in the body and it's less likely to build up in the body and because it's used in tiny amounts. Okay, so here's the issue. Here's the fallacy. On their website, it actually says that. Tiny amounts over multiple vaccines. It's less likely to build up, but not necessarily impossible to build up. It will build up in the body. And they tell you in the first sentence, it's a different kind of mercury that causes mercury poisoning. Uh, No, both mercuries cause mercury poisoning. Um, And they consider it safe because the body processes it a little bit slower than the other one. That's the only difference. All of that is totally fallacious. All of that is totally incorrect. All of that is so incorrect that anybody with a little bit of common sense can say, well, they said it's less likely to build up after they just said it was safe. Well, it can build up, it does build up, and it's still poisonous. So my point is the dosage does not make the poison. Some poisons will kill you quicker, but if you have a small dose over a small dose over a small dose over a long period of time, you're going to be just as sick as if you got it all at once. It it all boils down to getting rid of what's causing the problem. So if there's toxic toxins in your system, once those are removed, your body will heal and you'll feel fine. It's no different than having a sliver and 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 then the doctors worrying about the pus and they're all concerned about the pus and removing the pus and this and that. Whereas if they just remove the sliver, the pus will go away immediately almost. And, you know, getting back to whether, you know, this whole thing about people, you know, I talked about cells and tissues and whatnot. Again, this was uh, information that was in the interview. And basically cells uh, is a Western medicine approach, cells in the body. And there was a book called Cellular Pathology, which I think should also be about the use of smartphones, by the way. But this book was written in 1859, Cellular Pathology. And the guy that that did the experiment and wrote the book cut open, sliced open an onion and, and and determined that onions do have cells. And so, therefore, because onions have cells, humans have cells. Oh, that so makes, I don't know if that, that ties sense. in with this whole corrupted, distorted view of medicine, if that was part of the plot, the conspiracy, if you will. The conspiracy, oh my gosh. But that could be. I mean, it could have started back in 1859 and then 50 years later in the early 1900s. They said, hey, hey well, there's this book. This guy says there's cells and we can trick people into thinking there are cells. And I mean, it's all deception, Ryan. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, but. You know me, I'm, I'm kind of absolute on certain things, and uh, there's no doubt in my mind this was intended. It's intentional. It's intentional to keep humanity sick and also the animals because we'll, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that at some point because they've taken the same blueprint that they use for humans 
and the big profit it creates by keeping people sick all the time and not to mention in misery and pain and suffering. But they've used that same blueprint with veterinar- veterinarians, right? And the approach yes, uh, that it's the they same take for animals to, to, to treat animals. It's the same so for you animals, see, yeah. There's the pattern. Well, and, w- well uh, listen, there's a you ever heard of a Dr. Carolyn Dean? No. So Dr. Carolyn Dean wrote a book called Death by Modern Medicine. And there's Great a Great title. It's a, it, that's another show name. Yeah, but I don't want to yes, I don't want to steal, steal that from her. Um, but she wrote about dentistry. And this, I think, connects with what you're saying. I'm going to read you the quote from the book. Around the 1830s, dentistry was an unregulated service. Free market medical men, barbers and blacksmiths, elbowed each other for patients. They found that mercury amalgams fitted much more easily than hot lead and were much cheaper than gold. This is what they put in the mouth. Well, they're cheaper than gold. They fit a little easier. We won't put lead in the mouth. We'll put mercury in the mouth. She says, since mercury fillings technically were outside the body, most lay dentists were not concerned about potential toxicity. Medical dentists who were concerned tried to warn the public, but the initial rush for cheap fillings drowned them out. So she says in the 1830s, medical dentists were saying, do not put mercury in the mouth. This is toxic. This is poisonous. Do not do it. But they made the, the, the distinction between mercury in the body and mercury in the mouth, which they said technically wasn't in the body. And a lot of these were just, again, blacksmiths, barbers. These were just people. They weren't even medical dentists. And so she writes, the lay dentists and the pro-amalgam dentists became so powerful because they accumulated all this wealth and, and they had all this power because people wanted the cheap instant gratification of just put the mercury and fill it for the pain or whatever it was that they formed their own dental association in 1859, and that dental association was the American Dental Association. Mm-hmm. The, the ADA continued to promote and support the use of mercury amalgams as a safe dental product, and they still do to some extent today. The ADA today was founded over 150 years ago, not by medical dentists, but by laymen dentists, people that just had right. you know their hand in the market. So it's very similar to what you're saying and I think it expands on that because, in my view, I don't think it's a sinister conspiracy. I think it's you have misunderstandings, you have ways of thinking that people don't want to abandon because of money or ego or whatever. And over the years, over the decades, over the centuries, there have been those, like with the Flexner Report and the Rockefeller Foundation right. and others, that have exploited this, suppressed simple cures that were not toxic and poisonous in lieu of their petroleum-based products, chemicals and drugs, and that has become the modern form of medicine. So today, when you have this conversation, you're kind of like the medical dentists in the 1830s saying, don't put mercury in the mouth, this is very toxic. And all the others are like, well, um, it's cheaper and it's easier and people want it, so shut up. Well, they may take that, you know, take those tidbits uh, and then use them, you know, like you said, okay, Rockefeller comes along. Okay, well, here I want to take over the medical industry. Hell, here's some helpful information about what's happened in, in the past, whether it's a book that's written or a story like what you just told. Let's let's use that. That sounds, it sounds believable. We can trick people with that story. We can tell them there are cells. Um, so, 
you know, that's about the same time period. You know, the 1850s is also when this German doctor came along, eye doctor, optometrist, and, and basically is the one that created lenses for people to see where glasses were used. Um, and Dr. William Bates in, in the early 1900s uh, challenged that. That was the accepted to this day. Obviously, it's accepted, and, and eyeglasses and contacts are a billion-dollar industry. So that was starting back in the 1850s that this German doctor was, you know, the standard, the gold standard is to use glasses and this and that, whereas Dr. Bates said, no, 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 you can do eye exercises and other things to strengthen the eyes and regain your vision rather than weakening the eyes by using glasses. And stop and think about it. Does anybody that you know in your entire life that wears glasses ever stop wearing glasses, nor, or does their prescription get less? No, it always gets you. I get to have to get a stronger and stronger prescription the older that you, you get, right? Yeah, they say your eyes, so are, the, getting, your eyes are getting worse. Right. The, the proof, proof is in the pudding. So here again, um, just innocence or conspiracy. I, you tell me, a, but one way or the other, it's messed up. It's a mix, and I think for the average person, doctors, nurses, people like us, the average person, just it's, it's, a, it's based on a fallacy, and it's hard to override yeah. something that you've been taught from yep. the earliest days just of accepted. your life. Just so, like the, the ADA that you just mentioned, you know, they, they promote fluoride in the toothpaste, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that, that was all based off of uh, just money. Uh, the the aluminum industry just gave the ADA a bunch of money and said, "Hey, we need to get rid of this toxic waste." Right. We need to. F and, I mean, that's well, well, well documented history. It's not even a thought about conspiracy. It's just, hey, we have some stuff we want to get rid of. Can you put this in the water supply to get rid of it? Like dumping poison toxins into the ocean to to get rid of them. That's all that it is. And they did this with the water supply, uh, but they also knew and found out. Um, some found out later, but others knew at the time, like, oh, this serves two purposes, get rid of the toxins, but it will also cause people to be very, very sick yep. as well. And make and, and probably make a profit from it. Here, here's a I don't know if they actually sell. They, yeah, they would. They sell the, the fluoride to municipalities, don't they? They don't just give it to them. Well, na well, now it is. Um, municipalities purchase that type of thing, right? But so there's profit in it too, at least now. There is now, Maybe. yeah. At, at at the beginning, I mean, the, uh, the 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 aluminum companies they paid to get rid of it and they dumped it right. into the water. The ADA said, yeah, sure, it's good for teeth, but no, they know it actually it does the opposite. It actually causes dental fluorosis, and there are other things. I mean, dentistry is a whole different topic. Like that's another show that could. It's very similar to germ theory because a lot of the things they say cause you know your teeth to rot or have gingivitis it's not the bacteria that causes it per se it's still a part of germ theory um i i have a clip here of carrie mollis who um is the inventor of the pcr test and, and the pcr test is what is being used for covid19 and other things and it's i don't think i don't think anybody i've heard of the pcr test i couldn't have given you like a full understanding uh, report on it but the PCR test is something that they use to detect for, you know, viruses and things that they say cause disease. The inventor, right, the inventor, Jack, Carrie Mollis, 
says that it doesn't actually detect this stuff. You want me to play that clip? Correct. It does not detect viruses or any uh, infectious disease, so-called infectious disease. Those are his words. Those are his yeah, words. Yeah, let's and, listen to the clip. And here's the clip. Kerry Mollis, inventor of the PCR test, he died right before this time last year when COVID-19 began. Here's what Kerry Mollis had to say. And you can find lots of videos and audio of this, but here's one of them. Find this virus in you at all. And with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. It starts making you believe in the sort of Buddhist notion that everything is contained in everything else, right? I mean, because if you can amplify one single molecule up to to something that you can really measure, which PCR can do, then there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one single one of them in your body. So you have... Molecules right. in your body, you amplify the tests, and then you can find proof that right. there's something there, which right. is, this is exactly, I mean, say what you want about the New York Times, and I think that they're one of the worst publications on the planet. They're extremely pro-China, anti-American, but they had a, a, a report that went up, and I'll get you the headline here. Your coronavirus test is positive, maybe it shouldn't be. And this isn't just for COVID-19, this is for anything. This is August of 2020. And here's what the report says. The PCR test amplifies genetic matter from the virus in cycles, although they're wrong about it being the virus. The fewer cycles required, the greater the amount of virus or viral load in the sample. The greater the viral load, the more likely the patient is to be contagious. So the number of amplification cycles needs to, needs to be um, measured so that they don't amplify it too much, because if you amplify it too much, then like what Carrie Mollis just said in that audio clip, you'll find that there's proof of anything in the body. Anything. Because you right. have he, pretty much everything already in the body, just not in large amounts. Yeah. He said you can find almost anything in anyone, and it, he also said it doesn't tell you that you're sick. It doesn't tell you that you're sick exactly. In that, in that same clip, later on in that clip, towards the end, he says that. It doesn't tell you that you're sick. And as this article goes on to explain, in three sets of testing data that include cycle thresholds compiled by officials in Massachusetts, New York, and Nevada, up to 90% of people testing positive carried barely any virus, a review by the Times found. So they're testing positive. They're not sick because they don't have the virus in them. They've just found this genetic material. And one solution, they say, one solution would be to adjust the cycle threshold used now to decide that a patient is infected. More tests, more tests, more tests, more. They're not saying this. I'm saying more tests, more tests, more tests, more positive, more positive, positive, because the tests set a limit at 40 cycles or 37 cycles. This means that you're positive for the virus if the test process required up to 40 cycles or 37. However, and as many people, even Dr. Fauci himself said, once you go above 30, 32 or so cycles, it's basically worthless. So they're telling you, you do the, psych, the test, you amplify it, just like Carrie Mullis said, you find proof of anything. It's not proof that you're sick. It's proof that you have something in your body, whether it's organic or otherwise, really. This PCR test was strategically chosen to create this uh, fake pandemic. They, they knew that this one would accomplish what they needed it to do. If there would have been a different test, an XRT test, whatever it might be called, 
and that would have served the purpose. They would have used that. And and, and this is another thing. The Lisbon Appeal Court has ruled that Azores Regional Health Authority violated Portuguese and international law by confining a handful of Germans to a hotel in quarantine. Their 34-page conclusion in this court case said exactly the same thing. The test shows itself to be unable to determine beyond reasonable doubt that such positivity corresponds, in fact, to the infection of a person by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. It is incredible. Court cases, the founder of PCR, and even the New York Times saying it's all a fraud or a potential fraud or it can be used for that. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's more after this. Don't go anywhere right here on the Fringe FM. And don't forget our end-of-the-year Holy Day special, $40 for a one-year subscription, a physical book free shipping, and a digital copy of all of my books, even the old ones, www.thesecretteachings.info. For more information, rdgable at yahoo.com. There's more after this with my good friend Jack. Stay with us on The Fringe FM. Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out The Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal Radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's The Fringe FM. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info. Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a practical, balanced, and unique look at the food industry, vaccinations, the theories of disease, and geoengineering, grab a copy of Food Philosophy. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. All three books can be purchased on the website at thesecretteachings.info, where you can read reviews from other authors and radio hosts around the world. Just visit the Secret Teachings. 
Why listen to the Fringe FM? We are your number one source for talk radio the mainstream media won't touch. Joe Root brings you everything occult with Lighting the Void. Ryan Gables shatters paradigms with esoteric knowledge on the secret teachings. Gigi and Cortana explore the inner workings of our reality with Shift Happens. Jess of the Rogue Report brings you years of research to explore the hidden facts behind alternative topics. And myself, Alex Exum of Live Talk, the so-called Joker in the deck. We are The Fringe FM. This is Jess Rogie from the Rogie Report News, and I literally sift through hundreds of articles a week to bring you the best in Fringe news. Check out the Rogie Report News here on The Fringe FM. You can't handle the truth! Every year around the holidays, we heavily discount our subscriptions and books here at The Secret Teachings. That means you can get a one-year subscription to our archive, which includes the Montage Archive and all of my digital books, the published and the unpublished ones. You will also get an autographed physical copy of your choice of one of my published books, either Food Philosophy, The Technological Elixir, or Occult Arcana, shipped free in the United States. All of this for the discounted price of $40 throughout the holiday season. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and donate via PayPal or use the email rdgable at yahoo.com. Come join us on The Secret Teachings where you'll learn things like the origin of the word holiday. It comes from the Old English holiday, meaning holy day. So celebrate the holy days with The Secret Teachings for yourself as a gift or for someone else www.thesecretteachings.info Hi, this is Dave Cruz of Beyond the Strange and you're listening to Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings right here on The Fringe FM. Join me on a journey where getting lost is the only true destination. Where happiness is an illusion. Here, where the past present, and future all coexist on the same timeline. Welcome to a future where our true reflection is only revealed once the screen goes dark. Welcome to the darkness. I hope you find it enlightening. Broadcasting somewhere between that which is above and that which is below. It's KTLK Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. I'm Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero Radio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Hello, this is James McCanny, and I would like to influence you to listen to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. It's a show that brings you a tremendous amount of variety with insight uh, with a lot of great guests. And uh, visit my webpage, jmccsci.com. appreciate your support. Ryan Gable. And this is The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. What exactly is the cause of disease? 
modern scientists and doctors, modern medicine, for the most part, suggests that disease is caused by a virus or a bacterium, something that invades the body and makes us very, very sick. Although modern germ theory, which is based off of the same similar kinds of theories that predate Louis Pasteur and go back into the 15 and 1600s, Pasteur essentially plagiarized his germ theory. But germ theory gets a little bit correct because modern medicine will tell you that if you take care of yourself and you maintain nutritional balance, viruses cannot replicate in the body and that you won't get sick from a virus and that the only way you can get sick is if you're poisoned or your body's run down and old age and things like this. So they're kind of right, but they're wrong on the other side of the argument because they are saying the virus causes the disease when the virus might not cause the disease at all. In fact, you have what Antoine Bicamp, who was a, at the time, a contrary colleague of Louis Pasteur, and he suggested that these little things in the body, called them microzemas, these little tiny things were not harmful, but they were able to transform into what became what we call disease-cultivating bacterium, fungus, or virus based on the environment. And bacteria, bacterium, bacteria, are pleomorphic, so they'll change based on the environment. The medical establishment even acknowledges that they are pleomorphic and they have an ability to change form, yet they don't necessarily say that they are pleomorphic and cause don't cause the disease. They're just, they just change based on the environment. They say, no, they cause the disease. Now, it's interesting that bacteria is looked at in this way because our mitochondria and our bodies are also bacterial in origin. And we find bacteria and viruses and fungus and things like this on the skin and on the body, even in the body, of people that are not sick. And this is perhaps best explained by the inventor of the PCR test, which for a lot of people has become a, a, a household thing. They know what the PCR test is now, or at least they've heard of it, the polymerase chain reaction test, the PCR test. This was invented by Carrie Mollis. Carrie Mollis said that if you have material in your body, it can be amplified and you can be found to have anything in your body because there's a little bit of everything in us. It doesn't mean that you're sick. I'm going to play that clip, and then we're going to look at what the Lisbon Appeal Court said pertaining to Azores Regional Health Authority and how they violated Portuguese and international law by confining a handful of Germans to a hotel because they were diagnosed with a disease because of a test that said they were sick when they weren't actually sick. And here with me this evening is my good friend and co-host Jack from the Messenger of Information website, messengerof.info. He has a lot of this information on messengerof.info. 
And Jack, let's go here. Uh, go right. go ahead here and play this Carrie Mollis can, again. Can we? Can I just set it up? A, one one other thing before you play the clip. Sure thing is that Carrie Mullis is a bio was a biochemist, and he did win the Nobel Prize in I believe it was in chemistry in 1993 for the creation of the PCR test. So he won a Nobel Prize for inventing this test. 1993. 1993. So this is the test that are, that's being used to determine if you have COVID and if you're sick, even if you're not actually sick. This is what Carrie Mollis had to say. Virus in you at all. And with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. It starts making you believe in the sort of Buddhist notion that everything is contained in everything else, right? I mean, because if you can mo- amplify one single molecule up to, a, to something that you can really measure which PCR can do, then there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one single one of them in your body. So you have these molecules in your body. You might have one or two in a sense. They amplify them. Oh, look, there's more. Now they say you have a high viral load. You're contagious. You're sick. You need to quarantine. And this isn't just for COVID-19. This is for testing in general for viruses and things that supposedly make make us sick. So the PCR test... Carrie Mollis said that it you can use it to amplify anything. And now um, there was a, uh, a court verdict issued on November 11th um, and then followed by an appeal against a right of habeas corpus filed by four Germans against the Azores Regional Health Authority. And the Lisbon Appeals Court in this case said that the Regional Health Authority, Azores Regional Health Authority, had violated Portuguese international law by confining these Germans to a hotel. The judges said that only a doctor can diagnose someone with a disease, okay, just because you're positive or have a symptom doesn't mean you're sick. And the conclusion to their 34-page ruling included this. Pay very close attention to this. Quote, in view of current scientific evidence, this test shows itself to be unable to determine beyond reasonable doubt that such positivity corresponds in fact to the infection of a person by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The court says the test's reliability depends on the number of cycles used. The test's reliability depends on the viral load present. Those are quotes. So the court recognized what, uh, what uh, the PCR inventor, Carrie Mollis, said. And even the New York Times said that if you adjust the cycle threshold, from 32 to 35, somewhere around there, up to 40 or higher to detect coronavirus, COVID-19, or anything, you can find anything in the body. Anybody can have this disease without actually being sick or transmitting it to each other. So it is beyond an overreach to claim that because someone has something genetically in their body that they're sick and contagious. This is beyond out of control. It's beyond medical tyranny, and it's really based on... One giant fallacy, Jack. Yeah, and by the way, it cannot find COVID-19 virus, the PCR test. No test can because viruses have a process when they, when they detect viruses, right? And they have to isolate a virus. They have never done that. There's no evidence, proof scientific proof whatsoever that the COVID-19 virus exists. By the way, I it, it makes me wonder 
okay, this test, obviously we know there's a lot of false positives, right? But then you take that in the next step. So who's to say that any test that they give you in a hospital or in a doctor's office is accurate either? Because if a test, no matter what type of medical test it is, is not 100% accurate, what good is it? Think about that. Oh, you got strep throat. Uh, you, know, you might have, you got a sore throat. You might have strep throat. We'll give you a strep throat test and it comes back positive or negative. Who, who's to say, I, I, you know, it just makes me wonder if these, if this test is wrong, then, then are the other tests accurate? Now, I think that that is a very, very interesting topic to focus on. Maybe we can do that for the rest of this segment because we were talking about in the first segment how you define a virus as something that comes from out the body into the body and it makes us sick. However, the original definition of a virus was something that was poisonous. It used to be defined as uh, snake venom, and they call it a noxious or poisonous substance. You can look this up in a dictionary, and the dictionary will even say that the original idea of a virus, it says on my, my Mac dictionary and other dictionaries I've looked at, that the original definition of a virus was something that was created as a byproduct of the body's detox system. So this was known hundreds of years ago, but there were other camps of thought which suggested something else. And just like dentistry became this giant uh, monopoly on what happens in your mouth, uh, completely contrary to medical dentists in the 1830s that did not establish the ADA. It was established by what essentially were just laymen and, and hacks, some of them. So modern medicine is, has turned into a very similar thing. And if you're defining what these things mean, what a virus is, etc., and how things are transmitted, well, when you say, Jack, that there's no, um, they've never isolated the virus, see, this is where things get really complicated in a way because some will say, well, sure, they've isolated the virus. I've seen the virus. But are you, see, here's the thing. Are you looking at the virus under an electron microscope? Are you looking at the virus on a computer-generated image? What are you defining as the virus? Is it genetic material that you think is the virus because other people who you say are sick also have that genetic material? You know, the stuff the PCR test amplifies? Because in a PCR diagnostic panel, on the CDC's website, you can pull this up, um, and this is the, the, uh, this particular copy is the FDA.gov forward slash media forward slash one three four nine two two forward slash download, and it's an instruction manual for in vitro diagnosis, and it's from the CDC, and it says, and this was uh, talked about by uh, many people. We talked about with Don and David, David Ike, and others, and it says the analytical sensitivity of the RRT PCR assays contained in the CDC 2019 novel coronavirus or 2019 NCOV real-time RT-PCR diagnostic panel were determined in limit of detection studies. Since no quantified virus isolates of the 2019 NCOV are currently available, and it goes on to talk about, well, they don't have any quantitative examples or quantitative samples of COVID-19. So, Right. I've shared See, that I've shared that with people and, and people who work in the medical field have said, but we have we do have virus isolates. But again, it's like, well, how are you what, defining that? 
Well, to, to be clear and to simplify it, the way I understand it is, is quite simple. There is a process that they always use, that the scientists or the medical industry, whatever you want to call it, always use to determine a virus, okay? It's a process. They do it every time, whether it's a flu virus or whatever it is, SARS, whatever it is. They have not done that with COVID-19. Dr. Tom Cowan talks about he's got a couple of friends, and I don't know if they've actually put this challenge up yet or in the, they're in the process of it. I don't know how they're going to promote it. But they're putting together a $100,000 challenge to anyone who can prove that the COVID, excuse me, he said coronavirus, so I understand there's supposedly different coronaviruses. So dozens. I, I'm not, there are dozens, oh, if not hundreds of right, them. Right, right. So he may have misspoken, or he, I think he was obviously referring to COVID-19. But at any rate, there's a challenge for anybody that can prove that it's the, let's say the COVID-19 virus has been properly isolated. They'll get $50,000. And if they can prove that it causes disease in animals, they'll get another $50,000. Okay, so here's here's where I, um, when I read this thing from the CDC, it's back from uh, July 13th of 2020, it says no quantified virus isolates. So when something is quantified, you find like a larger number of it. So they have what they consider to be partial, not full, not quantified, but partial virus isolates, but they don't have a large quantity of it. So people have quoted this and misquoted it and said that this is proof that there is no virus. But what it's actually saying is we don't have a quantified virus, which is as equally important. It just means something a little different, Jack. It means they don't have what you just explained. They don't have the definitive evidence that right. what they're looking at is the right. virus and that it's causing right. disease. And the CDC so, is admitting that a few months right. ago. So there's no definitive evidence and there's a global pandemic. Okay. Now you want to tell me that there's not a, a hidden agenda here? Come on, people. Let's just use some common sense. Do you, um, want, do you want me to play? I have a, a Dr. Tom Cowan uh, briefly talking about PCR. You want me to play that little clip? Sure, if you like. Yeah, let's play that. Um, I don't have... He probably explains it better than we do, so... <laughs> yeah, well, he's also a doctor. Or, or Dr. Andrew Kaufman, he, he goes into detail early on, you know, months ago. He went into detail when he figured out what they were doing and explains it. And I've heard it over and over, but that still doesn't mean that I can articulate it as well as they do. Well, I, I, there's, a, there's doctors that don't even know what a PCR test exactly well, is. Hey. Hey, I just went to to a uh, emergency room hospital over the weekend, not for myself, but with a loved one, and they wanted to give her a uh, a uh, uh, a COVID test, and we had already planned. There was no way that they were we were going to allow that to happen, and they they pushed it. They didn't push it hard, but of course, doctors are never happy if you don't do exactly what they what you know what they tell you. Right. If you tell them what you want them to do, they really don't like that. But anyway, so how I said dare to the nurse, you? Yeah. How dare you? Uh, don't you see that that degree up on the wall there? <laughs> um, don't you see those letters behind my name? But anyway, uh, 
So the nurse that was talking about, you know, getting the COVID uh, test, I said, is is that the PCR? Are you going to use, are you talking about uh, using a PCR test for your COVID test? She did not know what that was. Didn't know that's, what it was. Right. So that's why you will never get me anywhere near a doctor's office or a hospital under any circumstances. That's why I, I have this fresh in my mind. This just happened over the weekend. And what I witnessed without going into any more detail was total, absolute, they're clueless, Ryan. They have no idea what they're doing. It's all based on myth, uh, fallacy, misinformation, and they're taking the completely wrong approach. So with that, let's, let's go to Dr. Cowan. Now here's Dr. Tom Cowan talking about PCR. We'll play a, a few minutes of this, and then we'll have a, a final short break. Come back, and we'll conclude by getting into some additional information you don't want to miss, so stay with us. A PCR test is what's called a surrogate test, which means it's not a direct measurement of anything. It's a stand-in for the direct measurement. And let me give you a very clear example of how you know the false positive and false negative rate for a surrogate test. Imagine you wanted to do a blood pregnancy test and you wanted to see how accurate it is. So the first thing you could do is take 100 women who are 20 weeks pregnant. Now, the first question is, are you 100% sure that all those 100 women are in fact pregnant? And I think most of us, if not hopefully all of us, would agree that you could do that. You could feel the baby. You could feel if the baby's kicking. You could do an ultrasound and see if there's actually a baby in there. You might even actually ask the woman, do you think there's a baby in there, which is not 100% accurate, but it's, I guess it would be pretty close. And if you were also sort of stupid enough, you could do an x-ray and see the baby. I hope nobody would do that. But there are a number of ways that you could convince yourself that we are 100% sure that this woman is, in fact, pregnant and there is a baby in there. Now, given that, then you can do a pregnancy test, a blood or a urine test or any other marker that you choose. And if you do the test on all 100 women and 98 of them test positive, meaning two test negative, then you know for sure that that test missed 2% of the, of the women who you know to be positive pregnant. So there's a false negative rate of 2%, which is pretty good for a biological test, which means that if you do the test and on somebody you know remotely and you can't figure out whether they're pregnant at 20 weeks, you know that if it's positive, they have a 98% chance that it's an accurate test and a 2% chance that it's not accurate, so you're not 100% sure, but you're pretty close. The next step you would do is take 100 uh, women who you know for sure aren't pregnant. Or if you wanted to be really sure, you could even do it with 100 men, in which case you're pretty darn sure that none of those men are pregnant. Or you could do it with postmenopausal women, or you could do it with women who've had no sexual contact in the last year, or any other group of 100 women who you are 100% sure they are not pregnant. And then you do your test. You do a blood test or a urine test. 
and let's say three of them test positive. And now you know those are not accurate because you know they're not pregnant. And so then you have a 3% false positive rate. In order to have a test that has a 84.6% false positive or accuracy rate, so that 84.6 accuracy means 15.4% were false positive. In order to do that, by definition, you would have had to do 100 uh, gold standard or people that you know actually have the coronavirus. So the gold standard for a PCR test is you take 1,000 people in this example. Because if you only took 100, you could only say 84% accurate. If you only did 10 people, you would only be able to say 10% accurate or 20%. So in order to say 84.6, you would have had to start with 1,000 people and then you would have had to examine all thousand of them who have the same disease, right? So they have the same set of symptoms. This has clearly been defined as COVID-19, sort of like chickenpox. Everybody has the same symptoms, and you could say clearly this is the disease called chickenpox. Or you have a blood clot in your lungs. You can see that with, with an x-ray test. You can see the clot. So you know that all hundred, all thousand of these people have COVID-19. Then you do, as I've described, isolation, purification, characterization, and you find the coronavirus in each of those thousand. Now you know they have the same disease. They have the same virus. Then you can pull out the, the genetic material from that virus that you've now isolated. You can find a unique piece of that uh, coronavirus. You can make a marker or a segment, a primer, that attaches to that unique piece. And then you would do that on uh, a 1,000 people who don't have it, and that would tell you the false positive rate. And this is Dr. Tom Cowan explaining the PCR test that Lisbon Appeals Court also concluded that the probability of receiving a false positive is 97% or higher. And we found that in the United States, New York, Nevada, and Massachusetts, data showed that when you get the PCR test, up to 90% of people who tested positive are actually negative. And they're negative for the same reason that the inventor of the PCR test talked about when he said you can take this material and you can amplify it and you can basically prove that anything in the body is present and therefore, by association, causes the disease. Here's Kerry Mollis one more time about PCR. Then there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one single one of them in your body okay so that could be thought of as a misuse of it just to to claim that it's meaningful so ryan you know when dr cowan was giving that example about if you found a thousand people that had the covid you know the covid19 virus well and he said they all had the same symptoms that would have to mean that they had the exact same symptoms, not somebody that said, well, I have a sore throat and a headache, 
and, and oh, okay, well, then you have COVID. And then the next person said, well, I have a headache, but I don't have a sore throat, but my I have an earache. Okay, well, you have COVID then too. It would have to be for any one of those type of tests, uh, like he said, a, a blood clot. Okay, you could physically see a blood clot, right, because of a CAT scan or, or, or X-ray, whatever. But when it comes to something like the flu, and this is talked about in, in Dawn and uh, David's book, it would have to be the exact same symptoms to to justify that that person had in, indeed had COVID-19. You following me on this one? Yeah. Other, otherwise, what happens is you can look at 100 people who died uh, for whatever reason and say, well, um, we're quite sure that people with fingernails are, uh, you know, they're sick and they're dying. It's like, well, everybody right. who died has fingernails. So, of course, we got to rip our fingernails right. off. Or, that's, or, or that's again, the hysteria. even if the people all had headaches, but then they had two or three different rotating type symptoms that weren't all consistent, then you can't use that as a viable uh, test. Right. And this is where the symptom complexes come into play, because when you look at even what the USA Today published a few weeks ago, they're like headaches, sore throats, muscle aches dry throats like a cough a sneeze a wheeze like these are all symptoms of leaving your window open in the in in this in the winter in the fall and you get that cold air you breathe it in you get a sore throat a little achy in the morning you get up you warm up you feel better but those are now symptoms of a disease you're put into a category by association you get the pcr test then they say well you're really sick you need to quarantine but i feel good but it doesn't matter you got the genetic material inside of you get inside lock down take the vaccine or you're never going to come out of your house again. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Jack is with us this evening. There's more after this. Don't go anywhere. Could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence, but I hate this channel. Or you could listen to the secret teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on the Fringe FM, and join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's the Secret Teachings.info and the Fringe FM. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir, black goo, transhumanism and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. 
It not only supports the secret teachings and Fringe FM, but most importantly, it supports you. Every year around the holidays, we heavily discount our subscriptions and books here at The Secret Teachings. That means you can get a one-year subscription to our archive, which includes the Montage Archive and all of my digital books, the published and the unpublished ones. You will also get an autographed physical copy of your choice of one of my published books, either Food Philosophy, The Technological Elixir, or Occult Arcana, shipped free in the United States. All of this for the discounted price of $40 throughout the holiday season. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and donate via PayPal or use the email rdgable at yahoo.com. Come join us on The Secret Teachings where you'll learn things like the origin of the word holiday. It comes from the Old English holiday, meaning holy day. So celebrate the holy days with The Secret Teachings for yourself as a gift or for someone else www.thesecretteachings.info They all say the same thing. They're all like, you know, over the last four years, everything good that happened was because of us. And we would have done more good stuff if it wasn't for those guys. And then they, the Democrats go, oh, we did all the good stuff. <laughs> it's like you're all working for the same guy. Why listen to the Fringe FM? We are your number one source for talk radio the mainstream media won't touch. Joe Root brings you everything occult with lighting the void. Ryan Gables shatters paradigms with esoteric knowledge on the secret teachings. Gigi and Cortana explore the inner workings of our reality with Shift Happens. Jess of the Rogue Report brings you years of research to explore the hidden facts behind alternative topics. And myself, Alex Exum of Live Talk, the so-called Joker in the deck. We are The Fringe FM. Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out The Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal Radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's The Fringe FM. And so are we. KTLK. Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. Howdy. This is Joe Mars, the New York Times bestselling author of Crossfire, Rule by Secrecy, Rise of the Fourth Reich, and my latest one, Our Occulted History. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings. I'm Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero Radio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. This is John B. Wells of Caravan to Midnight, which you can find at caravantomidnight.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings. You are listening to The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM, Monday through Friday, same time each night, after Lighting the Void. You can check out the fringe.fm, the network website. It's under construction, being updated daily, as I understand. You can download the Fringe FM app for free so that you can listen to the network anytime. And you can go to our website at thesecretteachings.info to find our full show archive with great guests and timeless subjects. Right now, it's only $40 for a one-year subscription to the archive. You can use that to renew your subscription where you can download and stream every single show after it airs. 
get access to the montages. You get all of my digital books, even the old ones, and you get a physical copy of one of my new books. Tonight I recommend Food Philosophy, since we're talking quite a bit about the subject of germ theory and the other alternative, in my view, more accurate theories of what causes disease. That's Food Philosophy, and it's free shipping. So 40 bucks gets you all of that. Just donate through PayPal. The email is rdgable at yahoo.com. It supports you, the network, and the secret teachings and allows us to do this show five nights a week with interesting topics and great guests every single night. We were talking about PCR tests a little bit earlier, and I think the first hour we really were able to get into the details of what germ theory is, Antoine Bicamp and Louis Pasteur, shifting into PCR testing with Carrie Mollis and Dr. Tim, uh, or Tom, excuse me, and Dr. Tom Cowan. I said Tim earlier too, Dr. Tom Cowan. And uh, looking at the origins of the PCR test and how it doesn't actually find viruses and how in the United States 90% of the people who test positive for coronavirus really aren't sick. They're not positive for anything. A Lisbon appeals court found that there's a 97% chance of false positive and that just because you have this genetic material doesn't mean that you're sick. Just like with genetics in general, just because something is genetically in your family doesn't mean that you're going to get it. I mean, there's genetic memory. There are certain genetics that are passed. I mean, genetics is, you know, when you procreate, you pass this material on. But, um, I mean, obesity is pretty big in my family, uh, diabetes. But I, I overcame all of that with a change in lifestyle, which changed my genetics, which changed my body and the environment I live in. So just like bacteria, pleomorphic, it changes. And uh, I think we're, we're very responsible for what happens to our body and whether or not we're sick for the most part, a lot more than we think so, at the very least. I'm here with my friend and co-host Jack tonight. Jack, I know you had some stuff that you had written down and probably would like to talk about. So in the last segment here, a little under 15 minutes, what exactly would you like to touch on? Well, a couple of loose ends. The first one I, I find to be interesting in that Dr. Cowan, which, by the way, the people want to look him up. It, the last name is spelled C-O-W-A-N. But he feels that there is not such a thing as an immune system. He calls it a detoxification system, which makes perfect sense with some of the other things that we've studied, where basically what causes illness is if you have toxins in your body, right? So it's, I found that to be interesting that he calls it a detoxification system. And then, you know, I had talked about the study of they're studying the, the body after it's dead and breaking it down and dissecting it and looking for all these different things to understand how it works. But one of the things that are that, that that these people are missing, that the entire medical system is missing, is they, they always want to break it down into small parts instead of looking at the whole. And I just think it's important that we realize, I mean, in my core, in my soul, I really feel strongly that the human physical body is affected by, as I mentioned earlier, Thoughts, behaviors, um, things that upset us uh, emotionally. Um, if we are to if we have toxic thoughts, it's going to have an effect 
on our physical body. And what I will allude to here is for those who are familiar with Dr. Emoto's work, um, the Japanese, I guess, scientist, most people, a lot of people have seen this where if you take the water test and you put, uh, I think he just wrote on a label on, on the different containers of water, pure water, positive emotions like love and peace and harmony. And then on the other ones, he wrote hate and those types of words, negative emotions. The water, when they look at the water crystals under a microscope, the ones that had positive thoughts and feelings uh, were beautiful. They looked like snowflakes and whatnot. And the ones that were had negative uh, thoughts, feelings, emotions written on them were all muddy and and looked actually very oh, disgusting. Actually, you've you've seen that, right, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been talking about See, that for years too. And they did right. it. They did it with rice. I, I mean, I, that's cut and dry to me. That tells you it, t- it says it all right there. And I think they do it with a with a rice test too, or if, if you same thing. And I think they also do it verbally. If you if you go to that water and say, "I love you, water. You're wonderful. You're beautiful," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's like talking to plants, supposedly, right? And if you talk to your plants and give them loving thoughts, they'll they'll be more beautiful and and, and grow larger and produce more fruit or vegetables vegetables, whatever it may be. So there's something to that. The, the entire Western medicine, modern medicine uh, approach is completely missing. There's no doubt about that in my mind. And I think that there's enough scientific proof of that. What do you think? Well, no, no, no. There's no doubt about that. I want to touch on the first thing you said quick. And um, I know Don and David uh, also talked about the immune system as a detoxification system. And when you get a cold, there's no cure for the cold because the cold is just a, a, a detoxification process. It's something that, you know, you could be feeling great, wake up, you don't feel too great for a little bit, you have a runny nose. Like your body is getting rid of stuff. This is a natural reaction the body has. It is a, um, I think uh, Dr. Tom Cowan said the same thing. It's a, it's a, a solution to uh, the buildup of toxins in the body. Just like uh, any other system, is, is you have to detox sometimes. You have to run virus software on your computer. You have to get rid of things that build up and accumulate that can crash the whole system, right? And um, I, I, I think that when you feel something, like you feel hatred or you feel uh, love, right? These are two different things. They're similar. They're actually the same thing, but they're two different things on the, on the spectrum, two different ends of the spectrum, and when you get really angry, Jack, I know you can probably attest you feel real hot, right? And that, that feeling of like being hot and just like right. ready to rip somebody's head off, if you will. Yeah, well, that's is, the saying. Hey, I got really hot, you know. It's, I got pissed off. Got I heated. was hot. You got heated. Yeah, heat, yeah, it was a heated argument. And that's the same thing with love, except with love, you feel heat. It's just a warming feeling. It's a warming sensation. So there's no doubt at all. And, and I can't just say, and I won't just say in my mind, like there shouldn't be a doubt in anybody's mind that emotion and feelings plays a very direct part in how our physical body reacts. And physical things can cause mental distress and, and vice versa. So if, um, I mean, I, I can tell you, you want to hear an embarrassing story? <laughs> I'll tell an embarrassing story if you want to hear it. If you hear it. So like, how embarrassing is it? Well, it's like, um, okay, well, think about, uh, like in my past, I've had issues. Uh, I had an issue one time with like erectile dysfunction. 
Okay, not necessarily even with a partner, but just in general, like the feeling of sex was not there, which is a driving instinctual motivational thing for all people. And it wasn't because, you know, I needed Viagra. (laughs) It was because I was so anxious and nervous about whatever was going on in my life at the time that that feeling just was gone. It didn't take precedent. There were other, like on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there were other things that needed to be fulfilled beyond the, the base carnal desire. And so like a Viagra wasn't going to help that. It was all, it was all in the mind. And, I, and I, there have been other things, you know, there are t- sometimes if you're a writer, you get writer's block or just some days you don't feel right. Like there's something subconsciously there that's preventing you from, from moving um, in the direction that you need to. So as a result of that, just like with physical things, we just, well, here you need some drugs for this. Therapy might help you to talk about it, but until you can find the solution and do it, that is not going to go away unless you suppress it real far down and then the subconscious just eats away at you. So, yes, that plays a significant part in our well, health. And, and, and how many people, there's so many people that have been verbally or emotionally abused and or physically abused. But let's just talk about emotionally and verbally abused. You know, how many Let's just say women. Uh, we know from our own firsthand experience how many people, how many women we've talked to personally that were put down by their former boyfriend or husbands and made to feel uh, completely worthless. Didn't you say and your that friend has an effect on their on their physical being? Yeah, and did, because again, it's that negative energy, negative, negative, negative vibration, and the and uh, being put down, put down, put down. And it, it does have an effect on their overall health. And it you know very well it may cause a specific disease. Didn't, didn't you say your friend married her husband because she was scared of him? I, I did date a woman or tried to date a woman at one point who, who married, got married because she was so intimidated and fearful of her husband. When he proposed to her, she said yes out of fear. Oh, my God. That's like funny, but it's really scary and sad. Well, and and tell me what kind of effect that would have on her on her physical well-being as well as her overall life. I mean, you, so, you know, one thing I found to be very interesting in this little in, interview, um, you know, because D- David Ike always talks about information fields, right? How we're, we are just an information field. And basically what uh, Dr. Tom Cowan has concluded is it's all based on organized water. It's a living information system, and it all comes down to the water and the water carrying the information. It's it's quite – I found it to be a quite fascinating interview and very insightful, and I just thought it was spot on. You know, another thing I've told people for years, I always ask this question, uh, and this is brought up in the interview briefly. Um, name me one drug that cures a disease, that actually heals you. There are none, zero. So that tells you right there the approach is completely wrong and there's an agenda. See, everything that we've talked about tonight with these different approaches to all the different things we've talked about, it almost always comes down to people not doing the right thing or a system whether it's a medical system or whatever it may be, not doing the right thing. The people within that system are not doing the right thing. They're not doing the genuinely right thing to help 
the person or help the situation, right? There's typically an agenda or multiple agendas as to why they behave the way they do and they push that agenda, right? And a lot of times it's money. It's greed. But it's not always that. But most of the time, that's one of the reasons that people do the things they do. So you see how it's all corrupted. And what does that drug do, though? The drug gets rid of a symptom or it suppresses Correct. a symptom, right. which they say, well, which, th- that's which the disease. Which may be a quote-unquote symptom, Ryan, that is actually part of the healing process. That's, exa- see, that's exactly what I mean. It's attacking the uh, solution and then the pharmaceutical companies reap huge profits. That's exactly what I mean. It's just like when a kid has a fever. Like I understand if it's 105, okay, then you have maybe an issue. The body is overheating. There are ways to deal with that. But if your kid has like 101 fever, that's a natural thing. It's a natural thing. And, right. you know, parents get, t- they're scared. Like, oh, my God, there's a fever. I need to give them Tylenol or Motrin or something to bring the fever down. But it's like, no, you don't want to bring the fever down. That'd be like your house burning down and the firefighters coming and they start spraying water and trying to contain the fire. And you're like, no, don't get things wet. Don't get things wet. Well, the house is on fire. They have to your your body's reacting to something. You have to get you have to put out the fire in the body. And there are there are ways to do that. Your the, the symptoms that we call disease are just symptoms of the body's detoxification process. It's yes. the the water being put on the fire. You need to have the fever. You need the runny nose. You need the cough. You know? Right. I'd be yeah, like, think it, about that. When you cough or sneeze, your body that's a real easy example. If you cough or sneeze, your body's getting rid of whatever it needs to. It's expelling it. What could be more clear than that? An <laughs> right. inflammation, right? He he talks about if you have arthritis or, you know, like tennis elbow, right? And there's bursa sacs. Well, what's in a bursa sac? Water, right? So it's an information system. And if you have inflammation, instead of taking anti-inflammatories, you let it play out, let the inflammation do its job, and over the course of time, your elbow will be fine. And, and that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that it's going to be a painless process. So, right, so right. certain drugs play the part of alleviating the symptom, uh, but they shouldn't be seen as something that eliminates it entirely because it doesn't. If anything, it suppresses it and makes the problem worse. It's like people that try to hold a sneeze in. You don't want to hold a sneeze right. in. Your body's no. trying to get rid of something. A chew, blow it out. You need to do that. That's a good thing. And, and then you get people that take their masks off to cough and to sneeze. And they just don't even understand the fundamental reason they're wearing a mask. Just all oh, because everybody else says, I was told right. I have to. It's just. I mean, yeah, I mean, I never liked science as a kid. Okay. And I don't claim uh, um, up until recently to know much about, you know, med- the medical, medical stuff. Well, I shouldn't say that. I've always tried to be healthy. But um, this type of information that's coming to the forefront now needs to be, I mean, this is game changing stuff. I mean, the whole system needs to be revamped. It needs to be just scrapped, okay, and start from square one. That's really what needs to be done. Now, that's a tall order. But one of the big, say the least, one of the big problems, though, is that uh, people like Antoine Bicamp, they were born in uh, the 1800s. They were born in 1816. He died in 1908 in Paris. And he was saying the same thing that we're saying and the same thing that Cowan and Kaufman and 
Don Lester, David Parker, and uh, uh, others like Dr. Nancy Appleton, and, uh, and so many others have been saying in the 20th and 21st century. He right. was saying it in, eight, in the 1800s. But, yeah. So it's been but known. It's go, going against an establishment. It's, it's ingrained. It's, it's yeah. entrenched into our society, and people cannot objectively step away and say, you know what, you're right, that makes sense, for well, a lot of different reasons. Well, Again, people are compromised, either because their job, their income, um, their ego, et cetera, won't allow them to say, you know, change is needed here. And that's the most disgusting thing to me. When when people in the medical industry or or any any type of a whatever their career path may be and they see things day after day, you know, let's say you're a politician and day after day you see the corruption or or in the legal system, you you see the corruption, you you know, the lying, the cheating, the you know, all of that stuff. And when it comes to the health industry, uh, again, it's an industry. Um, when you, if, if you sit there and, and that's one of the things Dr. Collins said that was an eye opener for him because at one point he was working, I think it was in a, an emergency room setting, but they gave a child a, a vaccine and the, and it severely harmed the child and he saw it with his own eyes. He knew it, he knew it was the vaccine. There was no question about it. And did that institution do the right thing? No, they lied to it's the like, parents and said, no, that's the vaccine didn't cause this in your child. And that's when he, you know, walked away. Uh, he always questioned the entire medical industry the way he explains it anyway. It would be like. But again, you, when you see that firsthand and you see it day after day, people getting sick, operations that went bad, um, malpractice of all kinds and you stay in that system, then you're a sick individual and you are definitely part of the problem. I, I agree with you there. I understand people are like, well, I got to keep my job and my family. And okay, fine. But there are other ways around that. And I don't know how you, I really don't know how people could live with themselves. Otherwise, I don't, yeah, would, I don't know how people be, can live with themselves. I really it, don't. And that's why they're so miserable inside. It's, it's like post-traumatic uh, syndrome. What's that? P- post-traumatic stress syndrome. Right. It's like, you know, soldiers coming back. Okay. And they know the atrocities that they just committed and they can't live with themselves. Yeah. They can be all macho and, you know, they're in the breeding ground of hatred in the military. And, uh, you know, if they speak out, then the other, you know, the other soldiers give them crap. Oh, you're a wussy and everything else. And they do the wrong thing. They kill innocent people. They come back. They can't live with themselves. And it's the same thing with all these other people that are unprincipled and will uh, justify their behavior and actions when they know that what they're doing is wrong. It would be now they may they Jack, may Jack, not we're, have that extreme. We're out of time. They're still Jack, 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 Jack. We're out of time. I'm sorry. We yeah. only got like 30 seconds. But uh, what's the website? Messenger of information. Messenger of dot info. We need remember. To- question everything all the time we need to have you back again so we can maybe continue this conversation do some other stuff uh it would be like getting hit by a car and then watching uh the car drive away and saying no no no, uh they're crippled because of something else they didn't get hit by a car now they got the vaccine that's what injured them in the case of uh tom callen i'm ryan gable this is the secret teachings don't go anywhere stay tuned to the fringe fm www.thesecretteachings.info rdgable at yahoo.com Stay safe, stay informed, we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. And with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. It starts making you believe in the 
sort of Buddhist notion that everything is contained in everything else, right? I mean, because if you can amplify one single molecule up to, a, to something that you can really measure, which BCR can do, then there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one single one of them in your body, okay? Time's up. Time may be up for tonight's broadcast of The Secret Teachings, but don't worry, you can still catch us Monday through Friday right here exclusively on The Fringe FM. You can also subscribe to the show and montage archive while grabbing my books at thesecretteachings.info. To get in contact with us, you can email the show at rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay tuned to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.